welcome to the simplicity of happiness when more is too much. This podcast offers tips and techniques for a better life. And before we start with another episode of the Simplicity of Happiness podcast, I would like to remind you that you can find out all about me and my thoughts on simplicityofhappiness.com as well as Patreon, where I am providing extra content for all of you who support me and the education of children in Africa. And now relax and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Simplicity of Happiness podcast today again with a special guest and um, I'm I'm a bit honored. Uh, my guest is Martin Oetting today. Hello Martin. Hi, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Martin was introduced to me now almost 10 years ago and um, the, he did his, I think his um, PhD um, at a business school that I used to work back then. And he was introduced to me as Flo, maybe that's one of the smartest person you'll ever meet. <laughs> so I was scared right from the beginning. <laughs> now and, I'm scared. Um, <laughs> yes, you better be. Um, and, um, and then we met a couple of times and, and there were always some very, very interesting facts about uh, Martin. On the one hand, um, that he founded a uh, viral marketing company, Trend, that I knew from, well, somebody else who recommended me to them and I got products from them. So I already knew the company. Um, and uh, then he had a very cool old motorbike. And then he was the first person I, I ever met to switch to an electric e-bike. And, um, well, while I was still thinking about electromobility... Martin wrote an article about um, Tesla driving and that was it was just beautiful written and then next time he caught my attention was when he shifted from trend to well um, how shall i put this political engagement and he founded something like Voller Halle in Berlin and i have never been there because i don't live in berlin anymore um, but it seemed to be some kind of political entertainment. And from that moment on, I thought, well, sometime I have to talk to, uh, to Martin about this. And now I saw a video of you, which I thought was so funny with that little bird and the whiny man. <laughs> I might put a link um, in the description as well. And I, and, and, I, and I texted you whether we can't have a meaningful conversation. And now there's one more thing. Um, that uh, you, Martin, after I asked you, you said, well, we can talk, but I think coaches like you and talking about happiness and simplicity is putting all of the responsibility to the people. And this is not the solution to our crisis. We need to change the system so that we have a system that is honoring the people so we don't need anybody talking about the simplicity of happiness. And I was thrilled. I was like, okay, well, we don't have to think about any topic. Let's jump in there. What What do you mean by that? Well, allow me to first um, make two small corrections of what yes, you said. Of course. Um, yes, the yes, first please. one, the first one is, I think, is a misconception that I'm, at least I feel that, that, that I'm intelligent. I often feel like I'm behind everyone else. <laughs> I'm oftentimes, I don't know, 10 years behind other people with 
certain things. Um, uh, I'm often woefully, yeah, slow with stuff. So I'm not so sure about your claim or that other person's <laughs> claim that I was intelligent. It was but... your professor's claim. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm trying to catch up. Um, and the other thing is I did not found TRND. That's how we pronounce the name of the company. But I was okay. one, I joined very early. It had been okay. founded about a year before by other people, okay. but I joined very early. But, you know, um, I just want to sort of clarify the facts. Um, coming to your question, the path to um, sort of political work and political thinking for me has been short and intense. Um Mm -hmm. um, it was all started really. I wasn't as political as I should have been most of my life. I come from a political family, but I myself was very passive when it comes to political things. Um, but the election in the United States of America in 2016 changed all that. When Donald Trump got elected, um, I had left the company a few weeks, a few months earlier and I had no escape. I could not go back to work and say, well, I'm going to think about Donald Trump in the evening or maybe on the weekend. I didn't have anything to do. So the problem was right there. So that's how my my political path basically really began. And what I was saying to you in our little text exchange um, hmm. is something I've understood through the people I've been following and working with uh, in the past years. And it's that um, our current design for the economy, our current design for economic activity, our current design for business is such that everyone is fighting harder than they should be, really. You know, professionals, hardworking people in offices, but also the people who, you know, do care work, who do cleaning work, everyone really is taxed over the limit. Everyone mm -hmm. is working harder than they should be. Now, is that necessary is the question, you know, does that need to, does it need to be like this? And mm -hmm. if you stay within the logic of the system and you have a person who has a 70 hour work week and they're burnt out and they don't know how to carry on, you start teaching them things they need to hear to cope with the world they live in better. You know, you might say to them, look, you could design your life in a slightly different way. Um, and hopefully manage better and have a simpler life and a happier life and so forth. But mm -hmm. then you stay within the system and you don't ask the overriding question, do so many people have to suffer so much? And I think we've come to a point where we realize um, too many people suffer too much. And not only that, the planet suffers too much. Everybody is suffering from the bees that are dying out to the people who come to you for help, for simplicity and happiness. If everybody on the planet is suffering, then we can't just tell each other, dude, solve the problem in your own life. But we have to look at the bigger mm -hmm. picture and say, look, man, shit is designed the wrong way. Yeah. And that's what I was basically referring to. Yeah. And that is why I, I like talking to you. Because... Um, We completely agree so far. Well, before I rant on with my <laughs> opinions on things, what do you think is the solution? 
Well, let me put this um, a little bit more complicated. What is, this, what is the overall solution, especially with those people who are numbing themselves? May it be through entertainment, may it be through partying, may it be through overworking. And they don't step up with a clear vision of how they want the world to look like. What is your idea about this? I think when it comes to describing life um, and a, a desirable life, a, a meaningful life, I'm sure mm -hmm. we will agree on most things. I think a simple life, a life where we pursue things for their own uh, value, for the for, for the for their own meaning, is is a desirable life, and it's not helpful to just want to buy more things or to own the bigger car and all that kind of stuff. So I think mm -hmm. if we both sat down and were to write a list of five points that make a good life, we probably write very similar lists. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is that if we advocate this type of life in the system that we have, mm -hmm. very few people will be able to have it. Yes. And I think it's only fair to want everyone to have it, a meaningful life. And I think that's why... Um, so, you know, your work, I would assume, is geared towards professionals with demanding white-collar intellectual jobs. Um, and they are the ones who can probably, by redesigning their lives in certain ways, uh, come much closer to that ideal. Um, mm -hmm. They are not coming close to that ideal now because they've been taught that competing, running faster than everyone else, having more than everyone else showing off their car at the gathering and showing that they've got the bigger car now, all that, that that's a good life. And they need reminding by maybe someone like yourself that it isn't really because that never ends. That's a race that you can't win. And it's a race that never stops. But what about the person who is having to work at the supermarket for, I don't know how many hours a day, and then that job doesn't pay enough for the family. So they have another job that they do in the evenings or on weekends, I'm not sure they can follow the path as simply, but they need to have access to their happy life just as much as the other person. So mm -hmm. if, if you're struggling to make ends meet, if you're struggling to feel part of the society that we have, and that's your second stress. You know, the first stress is life is just so fucking hard. And then the second stress is you still feel like society treats you badly. You don't get respected for being on the front line of the COVID disease by sitting at the supermarket cashier's desk. You don't get that yes. respect for that. So you have these two types of stress. You know, life is so hard to make ends meet and then you don't get the respect. Um, in that context, if someone said to you, well you have to redesign your life for simplicity and happiness, that person is probably not going to be very happy about that piece of advice, you know. And I think mm -hmm. that's my point. My point is that the advice we give or the solutions we work for, they need to work for everyone. Only then are we being, I think, responsible in our understanding of what isn't working. Yes. I, I think... Um, well a lot of a lot of my my personal philosophy is, is going back to the club of rome where there is an 
I never understood why there always have to be growth. Because if I have everything, what shall I, what shall I keep growing? Um, and I didn't understand that a company has to make more money each year. Because if you're making enough money to have a profit, to finance everything, to pay good salaries to everybody, why do I need to make more money next year? I didn't, I personally didn't get this. What I realized at one point is that I was living my personal life the same way. I always wanted to have more. And when I discovered that more of what I don't need in the first place will never be enough. And so far, it doesn't matter who I talk to, whether it be farm people, um, farm people or students or white or blue collar workers, most of them think they need to have more of everything instead of asking themselves, what do I really need and what is that I really want? Um, and I think if you're coming back to that well, very personal definition of what is enough for me, then I can step forward and say, this is the political system that I want to live in. This is what the society that I want to be part of. And who is holding the power at the moment? It's not the underprivileged woman with five children who's trying to make ends meet. It's the white collar workers who have enough money. And my, my idea about all of this is taking away the excuse for them that they can say, well, well, I'm just playing by the rules. This is the system. I want to ask them, what is it? Who is it that you want to be in that system? And how do you want to change the system? And I think if you start by yourself and realizing that you could use some more of freedom, love, happiness, um, caring, and less of the struggle, you could ask for the same for other people. May it be migrants, may it be underprivileged people. What, mean, is, your, what is your idea about the, the idea, ideal society? How would you implement the fairness? Let, let me return first to what you yeah. just said. I think, um, of course, it's meaningful to help people realize what happiness is um, or what happiness can be. I happened to find only a few days ago, uh, my girlfriend sent it to me, actually. I found a text by Oscar Wilde that is incredible. And I did not know that Oscar Wilde was basically a socialist. Um, <laughs> the text has the title, The Soul of Man Under Socialism. Now, it's mm -hmm. an unfortunate title because when Oscar Wilde wrote the text, socialism didn't mean what it means to us now as a word. When we hear socialism today, we hear, um, uh, you know, the horrible past of the Soviet bloc and, and the many things that happened that were outrageous and, and harmful and horrendous. But if you try to forget for a moment the connotation that socialism has as a word, um, it's it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. He talks about um, socialism only being meaningful when it goes hand in hand with individualism. Mm 
And what he says is, we can only be individuals when we stop bothering with what we own, with property, with the things that we have. And he's describing a society that is exactly like the society that we have today. At his time, he's describing a society where people are what they own, what they can show, what they have, what they've accumulated. And um, he says, the only people who can actually be themselves truly are the ones who do not think about property because they don't have to. They have enough that they don't need to think about it. But we need everyone in the world to be able to live like that. And it's interesting that this links directly to John Maynard Keynes, uh, the famous economist who was so dominant in Europe in the first half of the last century, who once said, I think in the 30s, he said that around the year 2030, I think, um, everything will be so automatized and mechanized that humans will only need to work, I think, 15 hours a week. He said this in 2030, so he, uh, sorry, in 1930, so I guess he was making a prediction for 100 years down the line. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see any development coming where large shares of the population can make do with live, working 15 hours a week. But he thought that if the progress in the economy keeps going on the way it has, um, that will be possible. And that means that people can become the exact individuals that uh, um, Oscar Wilde, you know, decades earlier spoke mm -hmm. about, namely people who have the time to use their minds to make art, to be social, to think thoughts, to explore the world, to appreciate nature, to just have a walk in the park, all of those things, and to be truly concerned with being the best versions of themselves that they can be. Um, and I think the, the problem is that if we return now to your, to your idea about growth, and, you know, I am making a documentary film about two people who fight against our growth obsession. That's my biggest project. That's the documentary I'm currently working on. Um, and I think if the economic system is designed in a way that growth is necessary, we will not be able to achieve this type of objective for a large share of people for the simple reason that any government, any institution that wants to do a proper job is nowadays measured by the growth of the economy. Now, if they want to grow an economy that's incredibly well developed, like the German economy that we both are familiar mm. with, if we want to keep growing this economy, we will start doing things that seem insane to people. You know, a public park doesn't grow the economy. If you have a big public park in the city, people can walk there without spending money. But people not spending money is not helpful for a growth economy. <laughs> so you need to either cut down the park and put other things up that make money, or mm -hmm. you need to close the doors and start charging to access the park. All of this I'm just telling you to say, you, of course you can say to people, live a life that's meaningful and focus on what's important to you. But when around them, the system is designed to make that park cost money, when the system is designed to uh, cut down that tree because the tree doesn't make money, but if we cut it down and sell it as timber, it does make money. When everything mm. around them is designed to grow and make more money, then they can look at you and say, I would love to, but they just took my park away. You yeah. know what I mean? Who's they? Well, the, 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 it, it is a government that has been elected. Um, 
to what extent what the government does is democratically motivated is a question. Mm -hmm. If we talk about the forces of lobbyism and the forces that want the economy to keep going in a certain way, it's the people who have the most money who want this because that's what their money is built on, that the economy keeps running the way it does. So I think... I think the they is an important question. The they could be all of us. I mean, if 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 more people realized that we need to start talking about who owns what and why, um, and that we need to start having a conversation about what fairness and justice and equality really mean, um, mm -hmm. the they could soon be very different people. But right now, they are the ones that follow the growth logic. And that's in part why I'm making this film, to tell the story of two people who try to be they, or who try to make them behave differently. Mm. One of them was a member of the Italian government for a few months. Uh, the other one is trying to put a coalition of governments together, or she actually succeeded in putting a coalition of governments together who tell the world that GDP growth is no longer the answer. So... Yeah, that's the important question. Who are they who make those choices, who make those decisions? And what can we do to make them change the way they decide these things? Yes. And now, please answer that question. <laughs> what can we do to make them change? Um, I'm not an expert. I think, you know, so many people have worked so many years of their lives trying to change society and i'm a fair, fairly a newcomer to this to this thing mm. so i want to just express my caution at making prescriptions i can just relate to what i've heard other people speak about and what seems straightforward to me and this is that we need a different way of telling ourselves stories about the future i think we need new stories about the future because at the end of the day um people mold their lives according to the stories about the meaning of life that they tell each other. And right now, I mean, I grew up with this, you probably did too, with this idea that parents say to their children, to their children, you should have better lives than we did. My parents were born in 36 and 37. They had their childhood happen during World War II. So they were quite marked by that. And that's an understatement. So These people say to their children, me, I want you to have a better life than I did. Now, generations of people have been saying that, but better always meant that you have more. But we have to stop thinking better is having more at some point. But there's no institutionalized body that can say to people in a certain society, this is enough now. The third car, two of which weigh over two tons, and have 400 horsepowers each, plus four TV sets in your house, two apartments, and this and that, and the swimming pool, is, if you keep adding to that, your kid is not going to have a better life than you have. Most likely, their life will be worth for, uh, worse for two reasons. One, they will need to take care of all of that stuff, and that's no longer having a good life. That's being a manager of property. And two... If they keep living like that, we're going to run this earth into the ground. So, so we need a new definition of what having a better life means. And that we can only do through storytelling. Because at the end of the day, by what we watch on Netflix, by what we hear on the news, by all of that, we shape our conscious, our, our collective conscience, conscience of what meaning of life is. 
And right now, meaning of life is, yeah, I gotta, you know, get up on that career ladder. I gotta outdo my neighbor. Oh, what's the family gonna say when they see that my our car broke down again? Yeah, none of that matters. What the family should be concerned about is whether you have a blast of a time when you sit together and have a beer. That's what's important, not whether you show up in an old car. But still, we are telling ourselves the story that whether or not you show up in an old car or in an old suit, whether that matters. Um, and and we shouldn't tell us that story. So we need new stories. I'm not sure if I made sense. Did I make sense? I think so. I, I watched a Netflix <laughs> documentary yesterday that was recommended. I, ha I had a very similar um, conversation like this um, two days ago in, in, in the evening. I, I live in the uh, Swiss mountains um, uh, by now, not uh, for any, any job reasons, because I do the same I do everywhere else as, as well. But it is, um, it is quite pretty over here. Um, and we have a, a hot tub in front of the house. So we were s sitting in the night in the hot tub, clear sky, falling stars, uh, big mountain range. And we had a discussion exactly about this. And they recommended a um, this YouTube show to me. It's called um, Eat, Ma Eat the Ground. And there they are talking about degradation of soil. And um, what I liked a lot about this movie is it's not only visualizing a catastrophe that we are experiencing at the moment, they are also offering a solution. They say it, and they offer a solution to climate change because they say, they, they propose studies on how you can run your agricultural land with well, less chemistry, less technology, um, but grow better crops that also store CO2 to the ground. And if the whole world would change like this, we would have more food than before, which would be more healthy. There would be more animals around and we could lower the amount of CO2, even if we kept putting out the same amount we are right now. And that for me is, was such a, I like it so much because they offered a solution. They said it's not all fucked up. Well, it is at the moment and we will keep fucking it up if we don't change anything. But here's something that you, that we can do. And that's somehow the opposite that, well, you mentioned him at the beginning. The Trump uh, administration did for four years. And I think if you give people a clear idea about how can you life, how can you live your life and making the world a better place at the same time. It's something positive. Yeah, yeah, For me, I mean, by the way, one, one, one aspect that helped me so much that was, that was getting rid of excess stuff. I didn't realize it. I got, a, I got rid of 90% of my possessions as a part of, well, I thought that would be cleaning my mind and afterwards it was the first time that i had an overview on all my possessions and i realized i still don't need 90 percent of that stuff and in the end i i ended up with very few clothes and only two bags and i could go wherever i wanted and that freed up my mind because i didn't have to take care of so much stuff i didn't have to pay for apartment car motorbike whatsoever that all of a sudden I started questioning 
my belief systems. And that's the moment when I thought, no, 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 we can tell a different story. We can have a vision for the future. And I think it is possible. If you look back 30 years or 40 years, there, were, there was no Green Party. There was no nothing about env environment at, at all. And I think we are, we are not even halfway there. But there was a shift possible. And I think we need these, these, these leaders, thinkers and politicians who speak for a clear vision. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I'm not interested. This is a weird thing to say, you know, coming from a guy who's making a documentary film, but I'm not interested in most documentary films because very many documentary films are just really majoring on describing a problem mm -hmm. yes. from all the angles. And I think, I'm not saying that those films are not needed. They're clearly needed because these problems need to be described in ways that is accessible for people and so forth. But I'm not interested in making that kind of a film, um, at least not right now. I was interested in finding someone who said, this is the direction I'm going to walk in and I'm going to try to solve something. I'm trying, to, uh, this is, this is where I'm going to go to, to, to do something different, to do something better. And that's why I was making or I am making the film that I'm making. Because these two people that I followed for, well, I mean, it's going on three years now. Um, most of the filming was done in 2018 and 2019, though. Um, they have a, they have a sort of, I mean, it isn't a simple answer in the sense that it's simple to implement, but it's a simple answer mm -hmm. to understand. And what they're saying is, um, GDP growth, the growth of our gross domestic product, is a number that was useful for the war, for World War II. That's when it was really developed to plan an economy at war times. And then after the war, it became a symbol for progress. And that was probably fine for a bit because making more things, particularly on a continent like Europe, where so many things were destroyed and showing in numbers that you made more things this year than last year says that you're doing better. Um, better again. <laughs> but the question is, for how long should you keep using that indicator? We have just kept using it without ever really questioning it. And these mm -hmm. people are saying, let's start by switching to different indicators. And that changes everything. And they're basically yeah. saying, rather than measuring a proxy, which is what GDP growth is, we're saying, this is how well people are doing. The GDP doesn't tell us how well people are doing. It tells us how much a country is making and selling. And we're thinking that the, the number of how much a country is making and selling says something about how well people are doing. We assume that there is a connection. Well, it turns out there is no longer a connection. In many countries, countries, GDP keeps going up while people's Property. happiness and lifestyle oh. and uh, sorry, ha happiness and, and well-being is going down or staying equal. Mm. So they're saying, why don't we start measuring what's really important to people? Rather than measuring this one number of the GDP, let's switch to a different set of indicators. And some countries are. I mean, Scotland is trying to. 
New Zealand is trying to, Iceland is trying to. Those are the three countries that got together to form the well-being economy governments, is what they're called. And that's part mm -hmm. of the story of our film. Italy has given itself a framework that's called um, Benessere Eco e Sostenibile, which means, you know, well-being um, equal, equal and uh, sustainable. So mm -hmm. it's a framework with which they try to evaluate every policy they put out. And they say every policy that we, uh, that we enact needs to be measured against that framework to show is people's, are people's lives really going to get better? Now, it's not as necessarily as powerful in practice as it sounds on paper, but there are movements like this. And moving away. So, you know, if you tell people, and this is part of the learning I've gone through, if you tell people, let's move away from growth, they kind of look at you awkward and say, well, but where else? But growth is a good thing, isn't it? You know, I want to grow as a person. And then you start having a conversation about semantics and about what growth even means. So if you say to people, oh, no, you know, your happiness can grow, your health can grow, um, the lifespan of your children can grow, all of those things can grow. But let's no longer try to grow the output of the economy. That's a very spe specific thing to want to grow. Why don't we grow the well-being of our nation? Why don't we grow the well-being of nature and and people at the same time? So, you know, you have this this discourse out there, the post-growth uh, school of thought and the degrowth school of thought. It's the right wanting the right thing, but it's just very... And it talks about what you talk about, you know, reducing your things... Reduced to the max, you know, if you like. But it talks a language that people don't find appealing because some things can grow. You know, let's let happiness grow. Let that be our growth economy. Let health grow. Let the size of our forests grow. Um, Costa Rica has managed to go from 20% of their land covered in forests to go up to 50% of their country covered in forests. Let forests grow. Let's be a growth society. Let's just stop thinking that the the output of the economy measured in euros and cents needs to grow from last year to this year. Yeah. That is a very narrow concept of growth. There, I, I just had I had I had a I had a picture or a metaphor in my in my mind when you were telling this because I started um, I started raising some of my own food this year. Um, because um, I, in fact, was hit quite hard by the um, by, by the first wave of the pandemic, and I had to switch a lot to online business. And as I have the the my, my second business, um, doing individual uh, Africa tours, Sahara, Ethiopia, and, uh, and and Tanzania, well, there was not so much travel. Um, I wanted to do something meaningful for myself, and I started um, uh, raising animals. And um, I thought that I'm doing the best I can to give these animals the best life possible to produce good food. And I did, I would say I did quite well. And now I'm at the point I could raise more. I could have them reproduce more. But why when I'm not hungry? There's no sense. I mean, okay, I could sell some and there are some friends. They also want to have some good food. So they are buying some, uh, some animals of mine. But, but if they are satisfied and I'm satisfied, 
there's absolutely no sense in having more chicken. I mean, at the moment I have, I don't know, I have so many, I have so many eggs, I can't eat them all. So there's no sense in having another five chicken. Yeah. And if you imagine that everybody was doing the same so that there wasn't other people or there weren't other people being hungry, um, then there, there, then you reach a point when more is just not better. Exactly. Exactly. More is not and better. It, yeah. At that moment, you could say, now I want to focus on more health for the animals. I want to focus on more, well, maybe, maybe, maybe taste or more sustainability, stuff like this, but not the more animals. Not more output. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And sorry. So what do we do about it? <laughs> well, I mean... Talking about it is the first st step, you know, and I think, I think people do understand that more economic output, strictly in terms of, you know, making more stuff can't be the answer. Most people understand it. If you ask people in the street, you'll probably hear most of them. If they, if you say to them, look, um, you know, economic growth, making more stuff next year than this year, is that going is that the solution to our problems? Most people are smarter than that. They know if they talk to you that, no, of course not. But we haven't made that a collective voice yet. We have to mm -hmm. make that a chorus that rings out through society, a conversation that we all have. And, you know, the progress has been made in that respect. Um, the and, and part of it is due to the protagonists in my film. I mean... Nicola Sturgeon, the first minister of Scotland, she told the world in a TED talk uh, in 2018, I think it was. Uh, maybe, no, sorry, it was last year. It was 2019. I'm getting my years mixed up. Um, she told the world that Scotland, Iceland and New Zealand were now the well-being economy governments and that GDP was not the first thing on their mind anymore and that growing the GDP is not going to be the answer to the future. But... Or, or in Germany, for instance, in the, in the big weekly newspaper, Die Zeit, which you will probably know, um, they had for, I think, five weeks, they had a series of articles talking about, do we still need more economic growth? And is that a good idea? And it's arriving in the mainstream, but it will only arrive in the mainstream if we also start voting for politicians or telling politicians to not be afraid to say it. I started making this film in early 2018 because I thought, That's incredible. In my country, in Germany, no politician who's on the public national stage will go out and say, yeah, we're not going to do economic growth anymore. The, the BEP, the Bruttoinlandsprodukt, you know, our German GDP, it doesn't need to grow anymore. We're doing fine. Let's do something else. People would kill him. Journalists would slaughter them. And I thought in 2018, there's people who are trying this anyway. There's a guy who's going to be maybe, maybe a member of the Italian government who wrote books mm -hmm. saying that the GDP growth is not a good thing. I have to find out about these people. But it's moving forward. It's moving slowly. But we have to have these conversations and start talking about what is it that needs to grow. And again, I think then we're on the same page. Simplicity and happiness need to grow. And us focusing on what's really important and us focusing on you know, a, being a community of people who are on this tiny spaceship called Earth, 
you know, traveling through infinity. And this is all we got. I mean, those few billionaires who might go to Mars, fuck them. We need to make this spaceship work for everyone, you know? And that's, that's the conversation we need to have. And that's why essentially I think <laughs> that's my excuse for becoming a filmmaker. I have been struggling with this for a long time, but sometimes wondering whether I should use the skills I've developed in my former professional life in a different way. But again and again and again, I come back to realizing what's needed now is stories that talk about what can and must be different in a way that touches people emotionally and that touches people on a level where they feel that a different way is possible. And I think I'm trying to start telling those stories now as a filmmaker because I don't know what else to do. And also I want to make <laughs> films. Yeah. Well, that's a good excuse. What What is your... Now, now <laughs> let's assume we have some listeners. Um, well, it's just a couple of... It's just a couple of hundreds of people um, uh, listening to this podcast. But I... Um, I have the feeling, I have the impression that people who are following me through all these years, um, they have a mindset which is going in the same direction. What do you have one suggestion? What can we do in our life to shape the world, the society, the system for the better? I think two things. One is we should all recognize and understand that the system has been designed by humans. We sometimes talk about the economy like it's a natural law governing it, you know, you know, of the invisible hand and all that stuff. No. Humans have been working with and living off all kinds of economic systems throughout mankind's history communal systems where some people in the village made the shoes and other people in the village made other things and you know the fact that we have designed the system we have today is not god-given and it's not given by nature it's been designed uh, by the, us yeah yeah the surface that we live on the earth the animals the the, the trees and the plants and all of that that's been given to us by nature or by god you can Call Take it one. whichever way you're inclined. <laughs> yeah. But that we need to protect with everything we have because that's that doesn't come back when we destroy it. What we put on top of that, money, uh, laws, uh, interactions, all of that, that we shape every day. So it's malleable, mm -hmm. it's changeable, it can be adapted, it can be something different. And people need to know this because if you listen to the news, if you listen to the mainstream media, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, this is not a dig at, at, at journalists. Journalists are doing an important job, but they're most of the time not in the business of questioning the system. We now need to question the system because the system is no longer working. So the first step is realize that the system has been designed by us. I have a quote from my protagonist, Lorenzo Fioramonti. He said it incredibly well, and I can't say it better. He said, we... Um, we can make it, we can unmake it and make it again. That's what we have to know every day when we think, oh, this isn't working. Well, we made it so. And then the second thing is, and that's just as important, we need to realize that this is a political problem. And that's what I was writing to you, you know, when we started planning this conversation. Um, we need to... 
if I solve the problem of happiness and simplicity in my own life and then carry on happy, hopefully, I'm not solving the problem for the rest of the world. I'm not helping to be part of the solution. I am arguably still part of the problem because I've arranged myself within the system rather than rubbing against it. So the second thing is we have to rub against the system and that can mean different things for different people. Um, write a blog post about how much growth you need in your life and in this world. Um, figure out whether our monetary system really needs to grow and can't we have a different one. Um, ask your neighbor who is telling you how proud he is about the fat big US SUV he just bought, whether that is really a good idea. Some of these things are uncomfortable and we have to learn to have these uncomfortable conversations and they need to trickle through society and they need to arrive at our politicians. Write a letter to your member of parliament. Uh, I don't know, shout at someone at a political party rally who says we need more economic growth. Shout back and say for what? To destroy our planet? Just anything where this becomes part of the landscape. That's really what we need to do. And I think um, everyone should find their own way of doing it. Um, as long as we remember that it needs to reverberate out into the world and not just be part of what you do in your own life. It, this needs to be a connected endeavor where people come together or, or communicate with one another, where it goes like ripples through the population and becomes a sound so loud that politics will hear it and say, people seem to want something else. Martin, you summed up, <laughs> you summed up the mission behind my work. Well, then you're a political man. I appreciate that. Yeah, wonder wonderful. Um, I, I am political. I learned so long if you're doing advisory, if you are being um, a mentor. To, I mean, there are certain things you don't talk about. One of them is politics. I do talk about politics because politics, once again, it's a system. It's created by us. And that one sentence you said, We can make it, we can unmake it, and we can make it again. This is what I'm telling people for their own life, for their job, for their job stru structure, for their relationship that they are in. It's decisions that you take. And what, and the decisions, decisions, <laughs> now I uh, swallowed up the decisions. The decisions that you take are forming the society and the culture around you. And as long as you vote for the people that you vote so far, it's not going to change. If you want to change, doing more of what you have done so far is going to lead to more what you already have. If you don't want that, be responsible for your own actions and go out and change it. And this is, this is why I thought this is so interesting because I never had the chance to talk in this podcast about the, the system because so often I hear that I cannot change because of the system. Like it's some superpower that created that for us and it has always been like this. No, it has not. And if you have, if you are against that, create a vision what you are for. Seth Godin says often in... Do you know Seth Godin? Mm -hmm. 
Um, personally, <laughs> because no. the last person, the last person I asked that question said, "Yeah, I met him then and then." I was like, "Okay, well, no, I'm I've not just met Seth Godin." No. <laughs> so um, he says, um, um, "Tribes form against something, communities around something, and that's what I want to create—a community that wants to step up for something." Yeah, yeah. And if I can be at any point of help for you, Martin, please come back to me anytime. When do you plan to finish your um, documentary? So I'm I'm currently working on the rough edit. Um, uh, I have a an editing producer who helps me with it. It's 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 a process. I'll, I have another video conference after this, and then I will go back to the editing, and mm -hmm. it's just ongoing. Um, I hope. The plan was to be done with the rough edit by the end of the year. I think it's going to take a bit longer. Um, and then we need post-production and we need to figure out distribution. I think it has to come out at some point next year. I'm not sure when and where. That's still mm -hmm. being worked on. But um, it has to come out sometime next year. It's probably going to be the middle of the year with everything that still has mm -hmm. to happen. But, um, yeah, I can't wait myself to see it <laughs> come out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward for that. And, um, well, if there is, if there's anything that you, that you want me to write about, that you want me to publish or where you want me to drop your name, uh, uh let me know. I'd be happy if we, um, maybe we have another conversation after your movie comes out so that you maybe can uh, give us some, uh, um, some ideas about the reaction. What, be, what did people really think about it? And, um, Where, where do you see the struggles and where do you see the opportunities? Because as we both like to focus on a positive outcome. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about it again. Um, it'll be exciting to see what people think about the film. And uh, yes. I'd be happy to hear what you think, you know. So let's have that conversation then. Perfect. Martin, then um, for now, I um, thank you very much for being my guest. And um, all the best for that uh, documentary. I personally believe it's needed. Thank you so much for having me. And for your work. <laughs>